Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. Good morning. It is Thursday, December 14th. It is six minutes after 11. This is the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. My name is Casey Daniels. Rob Kendall has the day off and Ethan Hatcher is joining us in the studio. Thank you, Ethan, for coming in today. I say thank you as we're about to talk about Donald Trump. Last time you were on this program and you talked about Donald Trump, things got a little heated. That was one of our finest segments ever. (laughs) I loved sparring with Rob. We got a lot of interaction on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that was a winning segment. I love that. Okay, well, let's just uh, update everybody on what's (laughs) going on with Donald Trump. A uh, judge has paused the federal case accusing him of attempting to illegally overturn the results of the 2020 election while he he mounts his appeal claiming that he is immune from the charges. So there's going to be just a little bit of a pause with that. He's argued that he he can't be prosecuted for official actions he took while he was president. The one thing that I I have a question about this is that if if he wins that and says that he can't be prosecuted for actions he took while he was president, doesn't that set precedent for Joe Biden as well? Okay, so you're pointing out exactly the thing that I'm most concerned with the Supreme Court potentially ruling on this issue is Mm -hmm. they would be giving carte blanche immunity for Democrats to interfere with future elections and overturn uh, Republican votes in states uh, whose results they don't approve of. Yeah, right. Like, I would much rather Donald Trump be found innocent of interfering with an election mm-hmm. than to uh, 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 create the precedent that presidents can interfere. Right, because That's if it works more for him, isn't it going to work for the other guy as well? There we go. Yeah. Um, okay, so the lights are currently out in the civil fraud trial. After 44 days of testimony, that trial is set to resume in January with closing arguments, the final decision in that case, not expected until late January, possibly early February, when the judge issues the written opinion. Now, the next phase of that trial, each side is going to present a 25,000-word summation brief uh, in January, and then that's followed by oral arguments from the attorneys, and uh, then there's the pretrial partial summary judgment, and so for now, the civil trial is done. They did their- that's- that's the most ridiculous case. Two of the most ridiculous cases brought against the president. The civil fraud for uh, misvaluating uh, or uh, misappropriating the value for his properties and also the hush money payment. That's absolutely ridiculous. The idea that you can prosecute someone for fraud when no defrauding took place. He paid back those loans. Mm-hmm. So and it, who was the victim there? Right. Yeah. Well, they can't answer the question, but yeah. in New York statutory law, you don't have to have a victim, which is why they're able to prosecute these alleged crimes. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, but the court house that was hosting that uh, trial. It was briefly evacuated yesterday. Apparently there was a fire that took place and a man was arrested for setting fire to documents and the incident now under investigation. Yeah, that's weird. What documents was he burning? Hmm. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about uh, what's going on with Hunter Biden and uh, Jim Jordan says that Hunter was told and was telling more blatant lies during his press conference that uh, the president was not financially involved in his business dealings and uh, Jim Jordan warns that if he doesn't testify they're going to move forward with contempt proceedings. 
I would just point out that I've had a chance now to review what uh, Hunter Biden said in his, his press conference. And I think he made an interesting statement. He said his father was not financially involved mm-hmm. in the business. And I think that qualifier, the word financially, is is important because once again, it shows another change, another change in this story. First, it was no involvement. Then, no, I never never talked to anyone. And then we find out about the dinners, the meetings, the phone calls, and everything else. Now it's oh, he wasn't involved in the business financially. I think that is important. Uh, it's one of the one of the reasons we want to talk to Hunter Biden. Second thing I would say is this: in a few hours, I think the House of Representatives is going to pass the the impeachment inquiry, yeah. and that is an important step. If you talk to any scholar. In this, I think we could proceed as we did under Speaker McCarthy, where he announced it. But this is an important step. The impeachment power resides solely with the House of Representatives. If a majority of the House now says we're in an an official impeachment inquiry as part of our constitutional duty to do oversight, Mm -hmm. that carries weight. That's going to help us get these witnesses in. And maybe most importantly, regarding this morning's activities, this is the argument that the White House and Hunter Biden's counsel used to say he shouldn't come. Okay. We disagree. We thought he should have been here. But when we take that vote this afternoon, what's our argument going to be then? Mm-hmm. We think he should come in. And so and if he doesn't, we're going to we're going to move forward with uh, contempt proceedings. There's a process we have to follow, but we plan to do that. Yep. OK. So they also won the vote 221 to 212. And he mentioned that word financially by moving the goalpost again. First, it was never discussed. Then it was never spoken to Hunter about his business dealings. Then it was insisting he was involved in his son's business dealings. And now it has uh, morphed into not financially involved. But there seems to be all the evidence in the world, all you know, the the smoke indicating the presence of fire, that mm-hmm. the president was indeed financially involved. And we have yet to answer the question, where was the 10% to the big guy going? And if the big guy isn't dad, then who is it? Who is the big guy? Who is it? Okay, well, here's Jim Jordan and also James Comer debunking Joe Biden's claim that he had zero involvement in his son's business dealings. When he voted on Period. How do you respond? That's not what Devin Archer said. There was telephone, uh, phone calls, meetings, dinners, you name it. We know what happened with Burisma in Ukraine in that December 4th through December 9th time frame where Joe Biden goes and leverages conditions that uh, American tax money on the firing of the prosecutor who was looking in to the executives of the very company Hunter Biden was on the board of. We know those facts. Remember, Joe Biden said he never met with any of these people or talked to any of these people. That was the narrative before we began this investigation. Now we know he met with and talked to every single one of them. So the president hasn't been honest about his associations with these people who have been wiring millions and millions of dollars to Hunter Biden. Yep, we've got the bank records, the suspicious activity reports, the wire transfers, the texts, the emails, the WhatsApp messages, uh, Joe Biden going by aliases, other names, and all of those emails. And you've got the voicemails to his son. You've got the business partners saying Joe is the brand and the big guy and the chairman. You've got the whistleblowers, the reported, recorded phone calls. I mean, it's an exhaustive list. All it's of just this because so much stuff. All of this because Hunter Biden is a prolific self-documentarian who cannot shy away from documenting his own crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a running joke on a bunch of uh, Simon Whistler's uh, channels on YouTube, including the Casual Criminalist. Don't write down your crimes. Right. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't put it in writing for sure. Okay. Did you hear about the thieves that argued that they should receive lighter sentences because the items they stole from a coal store? 
store were on sale. Well, you know, Casey, <laughs> this is a really novel argument, and I appreciate the creativity on the part of this defense attorney because mm-hmm. there's there's really a sensible rationale behind this, and it has to do with the phrasing of Colorado law because thefts of a value between two thousand and five thousand dollars can be prosecuted as a level six felony, felony, but two thousand dollar and below thefts are a misdemeanor. The total value of these items they stole was $2,094.98. So by arguing, well, they were on sale, that pushes it to the misdemeanor threshold Mm -hmm. and would give them lighter sentences over. Like... Whether or not you agree with that that premise is secondary, I think, to the creativity and the insight being offered by this defense attorney. Like, that's a really novel argument. I wish Abdul was here because I'm sure he would be equally amused. Okay, so these thieves, they're being called the KitchenAid Mixer Crew because one of the items that they stole was a KitchenAid Mixer, which retails for about $499 at Kohl's. It was on sale for $350. How, uh, other than just being obvious and walking out of the store which is happening all over the place we see people just taking their trash bags and loading them up and walking out i mean there's no way to inconspicuously steal a KitchenAid mixer the thing is big it's heavy too just stuff it under your coat you know maybe you're one of these passengers of size you think so (laughs) (laughs) going back to the people who are riding on the uh, Southwest Airlines flight okay during the uh, Benny Johnson podcast Tucker Carlson was responding to Vivek Ramaswamy's proposal for him to host a GOP debate with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk Musk and Tucker says, yeah, I'd be into it. Oh, gosh, of course I would. Of course I would. Yeah, that sounds fun as hell. I absolutely would. I mean, it would, I think, have to be outside the RNC's jurisdiction, and that would be good. I mean, they're, if, by the way, if any, I don't know how many people are on this call, but if anyone present can see a purpose for the RNC to continue to exist, um, just shoot me a text because I'd love to. <laughs> it, the RNC is like NATO. <laughs> You know, it, it, it has no reason for being. It only consumes resources and says annoying things and breaks things. But th- there's sort of no reason to have it. You know what I mean? Okay, so he's going off, obviously, on a tangent about the RNC and how Rona Ronda McDaniel, many people, many people calling for her resignation. But what a ratings blockbuster that would be. Can you imagine you get Trump, DeSantis, possibly Vivek Ramaswamy on stage with Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk hosting. I think you get a lot of eyeballs on that. I think a lot of attention. Whether a or not lot would, of attention. Well, whether or not it would be productive uh, would, I think, largely depend on their microphone management, because if they take mm-hmm. the Megyn Kelly approach, then it would be an abysmal failure. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, in that scenario, who would be the dominant figure? Would it still be Donald Trump? Or would Vivek do his his chirping his you know his chester the dog routine um i feel like ron DeSantis would probably not get a whole lot of time in. no no he'd be edged out he'd and, be talked over and that's why i say microphone management because between ramaswamy and donald trump they just talk over each other the whole time mm-hmm. and elon musk may be the brainchild behind it but he probably wouldn't be very audible either not when you're sitting there with broadcasters like joe rogan and tucker carlson i also don't think of him as like an incisive interviewer like he's got some hot takes and mm-hmm. he's had some amazing responses when being questioned i just don't know about his ability to 
lead a conversation. Yep. You know what I mean? Okay, so there's a new uh, baseball card that could be worth a whole lot of money, and we're going to talk about Tom Brady coming out from 93 WIBC. Good morning, 20 minutes after 11. This is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. Ethan Hatcher filling in for Rob Kendall today. Now, I know you're not much of a uh, sportsball fan, but I know that you like to collect things. Love so antiques. So I thought this might be kind of up your alley. I don't know if you'd consider this an antique, but Fanatics Tops is putting Tom Brady on a Montreal Expos trading card. And they're saying that the value for this could go up to $500 million. What? For yeah. a Tom Brady card? Yeah. I thought you were going to be talking about Honus Wagner, the the baseball card. Let me let me see if I'm getting this right. Um okay, the the trading card. Okay. Fanatics acquired tops for $500 million. Okay. There we go. <laughs> yes, that's much better. Woo! Close one. Uh. Um, but uh, Brady, obviously well-known for his NFL career, but he was drafted in the 18th round of the 1995 MLB draft by the Montreal Expos. So, uh, you know, how much is this card going to go for? It's... it's it's one of there. There's a f- quite a few of them that are going to be out there, so it's not a one of one. Right. Value is based on scarcity. The reason why Honus Wagner's uh, baseball card was so valuable was because when it was produced between I think 1908 and 1911, there were less than 200 of them made by the American Tobacco Company, and he objected to its use and ceased production because he didn't want children to buy cigarettes in order to collect his baseball cards. You know, stand-up guy. In 1933, that card was worth fifty dollars, an equivalent of eleven hundred dollars in today's money making it the most valuable baseball card in the world in 1930s. It's maintained the value since then, again, because of the scarcity. Less than 200 of these things were made. They're going to be chucking out Tom Brady cards Mm -hmm. in the thousands. Like, it's not going to turn into a Honus Wagner. Okay, so the Topps 23 Bowman draft set, it's going to have 162 Brady cards randomly across their different packs. 81 of them are going to be autographed. But this 1995 one, when it goes up for auction, I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll sell for something because it's rare to have the football player on the baseball card. And that's what you're looking for when you're collecting, okay. acquiring yeah, I can, I can buy that. the rarity. Uh, does, uh, uh, does the husband associate have any thoughts on this? Because I understand he's uh, heavily into collectibles. He's, he does. He does magazines. So magazines, we're not okay. doing the baseball card. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, here's Gronk. He's talking about his time playing with Tom Brady. But I just want to open and reminisce how badass we actually were on the field. Uh, did anyone do it like us? Because I don't think many did. No one did it like us, man. We scored all over the place as well. I, I feel like we were the first quarterback tight end combo to score, like in line, scoring blitz zero plays. Put me all the way out wide, three by one set where I'm, I'm on the one set all the way out by myself. Throwing fade routes, throwing stop routes, throwing return routes, throwing slant routes. We scored all <laughs> over the place. No one else has ever done that before, my man. Oh, and it's just one more season from them. So here's the question, though, Ethan. You're a collector of eclectic things. Some some are uh, valuable monetarily. Some are not. Yes. Why collect? You know, that's a good question. I mean, um, the things that you collect are more historical. Historical, historical yeah. 
Uh, it gives me a good degree of peace um, to be surrounded by my antiquity. I, I like the idea of my house being a museum, um, uh, you know, wherever you lay your eyes, something interesting mm -hmm. that has a story to tell. And then being surrounded by those stories and sharing those stories, I think, is an enriching experience. Do you ever find uh, some of the thrilling part is the hunt or mm -hmm. the find when yeah, you actually yeah, yeah, find yeah. something? The, the hunt is great. The best random artifact I've ever discovered, and it really is an artifact, I found a 2,000-year-old Han Dynasty bronze dagger in a Pennsylvania antique shop. I got this thing. It was on sale, 20% off, $100 mm -hmm. uh, uh, purchase price, which brought it down to 80 bucks. I ended up having to get this uh, thing uh, tested in a laboratory out in artist galleries uh, from Colorado, which mm -hmm. verified its authenticity as a 2,000-year-old dagger that predates the existence of Christ Jesus. So is... Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that puts it into perspective. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I love the hunt, and, and you always have to keep your eyes open because you never know when you're going to just come across something like that. Did you know that that was there? No, 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 no. It was, a to it was a totally random encounter. I was shopping with an antique dealer friend of mine who lives in Pennsylvania, and he points this thing out, and he's like, yeah, that's aged bronze. And I give it a closer look. I'm like, oh, crap. That really is aged bronze. Now, there is a way you can chemically accelerate the process, mm -hmm. but this had the look and feel of authenticity, and so was worth pursuing. And yes, ultimately it was, because it was verified as uh, an antiquity. And that's why I talk about, like, stories, because... Imagine this, the the tales that this thing could, this object could tell in its two thousand year old history of how it came from the Han Dynasty of China all mm -hmm. the way to Pennsylvania right. here in and America. La and how did it? Get, how store. did it get here? Uh, so you paid eighty dollars <laughs> for it. Is is it more valuable than that? Yeah, it's more more valuable than that substantially. If, if, if you were to I'm sell not, it, I'm not reselling it though. That, okay. like, because that's part of the fun, you know, to to be able to find these treasures and then be the steward, the caretaker for just mm -hmm. a few more years of its life. You had recently uh, purchased something. It was an autograph. What, what, something from Alexander Hamilton, or do you remember when we had the um, the tax rally out at the Capitol? That wasn't and, no 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 no. That wasn't an autograph. I bought. Um, what was that? That was uh, some uh, colonial. Uh, uh, currency um, that was issued in the early days of the American Republic, um, and the engraving work was done by uh, John Adams. That's what it was. It was not John Adams. I'm sorry, Paul Revere. Paul Revere. Well, that's go. it. Silver that's Smith. it. I knew. It. Yes, yep. I remember that. Okay. Well, actually, I didn't remember that, but um, so. It's very historical in nature, and that's kind of what, what gets, gets, gets you going. Yeah. You're not just into the American history stuff. No, yeah, no, I got all kinds of antiques. Inclu I, I also have a 17th century uh, British scrimshaw um, tobacco uh, container. I have a uh, uh, indentured servitude document from 1734 that predates the Constitution. So, like, all of these objects mm -hmm. help tell the tale of America or, you know, the the, the, the times in which they were issued. Do you again, I have quite a eclectic collection. Do you feel that you're, um, you're collecting or you're archiving? I would, I would call it collecting, but I mean, I guess it's a little column A, a little column B, because again, I, I feel like part of the enriching process of collecting is sharing the story of mm -hmm. these objects, and so mm -hmm. that would be archiving their history. Yep. So and it's a little column A, a little column B. And I guess when it comes to these baseball cards, they're archiving sports history. <laughs> I guess, or they're, I, I you think probably, you probably do. You probably shun your no. You look down. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think they're trying to make a quick buck, but that's fine. That's part of the American <laughs> experience too. Exactly. You're listening to the Kendall and Casey Show. It's 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Good morning. You're listening to the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. My name is Casey. Rob has the day off. Ethan Hatcher filling in for us today. Thanks, Ethan, for coming in. So mortgage payments on a new home have risen 90%. 90% under Biden's presidency. So the average uh, monthly payment on a new home has soared to $3,322 a month. And that was in the uh, third quarter of this past year. And that that marks that staggering 90% increase. Uh, some analysts are indicating that it actually might make more sense to rent right now yeah, because uh, new leases are about $1,000 a month less than the average cost of a home. Well, rent prices are also increasing, but all of this is a byproduct of irresponsible uh, democratic uh, economic choices that have been dating back to the early 2000s. So, like, yes, it's hard, but there needed to be a readjustment of the market to begin with because the barrier for entry of home ownership was too low. And in many cases, individuals were getting loans that had no business getting them because they had no ability mm-hmm. to repay the loan. That's what created the subprime lending crisis and created a housing crisis before. So there needed to be a readjustment and a raising of the interest rates. But now we've overcompensated because of those years of irresponsible lending and bad decision making. And it's punishing new homeowners who I greatly sympathize with. So this analysis is centered around a $430,000 home that has a 30-year mortgage and people that are also considering a 10% down payment. And it, but I mean, that's that's a nice sized home in most areas. Well, at least in Indiana, right? Yeah, not uh, in California or New York, but in right. Indiana, you're doing good. Yeah, but uh, over three thousand dollars for the average payment. Now, um, the Fed signaled yesterday that they were waving the white flag just a little bit, uh, not indicating any more um, interest rate increases for the rest of this year, and possibly even making some rate cuts next year, uh, right at the beginning. So do you take that as a good sign? No, I don't take this as a good sign because they're not going to address the inflation crisis through raising of interest rates alone. You have to t- cut the tap of the infinite government printing press, which has not been done. And we continue to export dollars that we don't have by funding the war in Ukraine, by funding the war in Israel, by giving, give, you know, uh, foreign aid giveaways uh, when we don't have the money. Mm hmm. Okay. Uh, did you hear about the latest from Megan Kelly? She had a bit of a meltdown. Uh, Again? Well, let's not call it a meltdown. She was very stern. Okay. Um, and she was responding to something that Taylor Swift had done. Taylor Swift uh, yeah, uh, attended a comedy show, and the ticket sales were donated to a group that provides humanitarian aid to Gaza. Uh, Megan Kelly not having any of it. And she's calling for a boycott of Swift. A group that NGO monitored has described as highly political, presenting a highly biased view of the Israel-Palestine war, ignoring any Palestinian responsibility for hardship and contributing to the demonization of Israel. That is the group Taylor Swift thought it might be fun to help raise money for, attend the fundraiser for, and she owes Israelis and Jewish Americans an apology. And I hope they boycott her events until she issues it. Mm. Because attending this thing was wrong. It was wrong. Do some Googling. See what they do in Gaza to gaze. See about women's rights in Gaza, Taylor. Mm. Otherwise, do this when it comes to talking about those issues again. You clearly know nothing. When she's saying do do this, she means 
zip it. And you would think that somebody in Taylor Swift's position, when she goes to the events, she's either for it, she knows exactly what she's doing, or as Megan Kelly pointed out, she ought to research because this has potential to backfire on her. Well, you know who that would be a huge slap in the face to is not just her Jewish fans, but mm-hmm. specifically her bodyguard. Do you, do you recall the story of one of her bodyguards who he left her service and left, went to go? Yeah. Yeah. To rejoin the IDF, the mm-hmm. Israeli uh, Defense Force. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, you have put this song on the template. It's by the Meat Canyon. Yes. This is a YouTube uh, animator called Meat Canyon. He makes a lot of creepy, <laughs> weird videos and this is his parody of what will be the future Travis Kelly Kelsey uh, 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 Taylor Swift breakup song because it's inevitable you know it's gonna happen this is how this woman has built her career it's not a real oh, real love no <laughs> like, like I'll believe it. it's more material for a song yes she's yeah. gonna uh, steal his soul and then write a new song and this is what it might sound like in the stadium lights under starry was yesterday. She was 34 years old and she celebrated it by uh, releasing her Arrows tour film on uh, uh, the streaming platforms. People a little upset about the price tag for it. Well, yeah, her prices are ridiculous, but she has to set them that way because otherwise the scalpers are going to make tens of thousands of dollars. Like at a certain point, this is the market determining what the perceived value of a Taylor Swift concert ticket, which boggles my mind that people would be willing to pay ten or twelve thousand dollars just for a seat in a stadium to watch this silly little blonde dance mm-hmm. around the stage. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Okay, but if you want to watch it from the comfort of your own home, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to chalk up uh, twenty dollars. It's nineteen eighty nine. Ah. She's still going to make a lot of money off that, though. Yeah, which is also, you know, 1989, one of her albums. Uh, okay, see, you, yeah. thank you for pointing that yep, out, because yep. obviously I, not a frequent uh, listener of Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, okay, let's talk about what uh, Jim Banks did. He dropped a digital ad, and this is um, going against John Rust, who's a possible GOP opponent for the U.S. Senate. Uh, little Birdie told me that Michelle Harder, who is the attorney who represents Represented Charles Bookwalter and also John Rust in their suits against the two primary rule was allegedly served the other night. Uh, possibly, allegedly, I'm using all of the words, allegedly, possibly, uh, Republican Party seeking to have the rule reinstated. Of course. Uh, this is Jim Banks' ad. A federal jury just ruled that John Rust and his business were involved in a conspiracy to gouge Hoosiers for the price of eggs. 
Hardworking families in Indiana had to pay more to put food on the table during the pandemic because of John Rust and his mega corporation, Roseacre Farms. And now he's using that money to try to buy a U.S. Senate race in Indiana. John Rust is a lifelong Democrat who had to sue the state to change election laws to get his name on the ballot as a Republican. And he and his husband, Louise, don't even live at the house where they are registered to vote. What is John Rust hiding? John Rust is in it for himself, not for Indiana. Say no to shady John Rust. I always think, though, every time that Jim Banks mentions John Rust, it just legitimizes uh-huh. him. Yeah, they, and- sh- they sure are squawking awfully loudly about an individual who hasn't even yet successfully qualified to enter mm-hmm. the race. He's still got to get his signatures in all the congressional districts mm-hmm. in order to be on the ballot. And that's But they're always- sure worried about that. And, and that's the thing when you're... By all accounts, I would say that Jim Banks is in the number one position to win that election. And when you're in the number one position, you don't mention number two. Yeah. And he keeps mentioning number two or or even number three or four. I mean, if you're to rank them. Um, so evidently they feel this guy represents some kind of threat for them to repeat to for, for to to target mm-hmm. and legitimize his campaign with these negative campaign ads. And he's not even a part of the race yet. Yeah. Wow. Uh, OK, so desperate. The uh, the GOP-controlled House yesterday, they voted to authorize the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, and it's a formal step the Republicans believe will grant them the ability to better enforce their subpoenas in court. Of course, um, <laughs> they didn't really have much—they uh, didn't enforce the one with Hunter— he stood across the street and said, no, I'm not coming in, even though he was subpoenaed. Uh, now they're hoping that this impeachment inquiry will help them better with their investigation, which has, by the way, been going on for a year now. Um, so these are the Indiana lawmakers who voted on the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, all of them but two. Right. Ethan, you want to tell everybody who the two that voted no were? Uh, Frank Moran, Democrat in the 1st Congressional District, and of course, our Mm -hmm. very own representative here in Marion County, Andre Carson, the great Mm -hmm. Andre Carson. Okay, so let's hear from Hunter Biden, shall we? And then we're going to play a little fun game. Uh, This (laughs) is him defying the subpoena. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. (laughs) During my battle with addiction, my parents were there for me. They literally saved my life. They helped me in ways that I will never be able to repay. Of course, they would never expect me to. And in the depths of my addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that is grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. It's shameless. There is no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. James Comer, Jim Jordan, Jason Smith, and their colleagues have distorted the facts by cherry-picking lines. 
Do you feel sorry for Hunter? Absolutely not. What's shameful is his parlaying of his uh, father's position in the United States government, uh, uh, selling peddling influence uh, as a means of personal financial enrichment. That's shameful. Are you, not, talk, not are you talking about the light of his love? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My questions, if I were able to ask, uh, why 10% to the big guy? And then why did Jim Biden, who's a multimillionaire, have to borrow $200,000 from Joe Biden? The whole, you know. Uh, okay, so Hunter and I are the same age. So I thought, let's do a little side by side. Can we do that? Yes, but as, you're just going to be mean to Hunter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you Your have, life significantly more successful. Do you have a problem with that, Ethan? No, no, of course okay, not. So let's talk about this. Uh, Hunter, affair with your sibling's spouse. I, I would hope that you haven't uh, done anything similar. Casey, no, no. No affair. Hunter, addicted to crack. Yeah, you don't look like a crack addict. Casey, no crack use ever. Hunter, uh, questionable artist and questionable businessman. Casey, uh, successful broadcaster for 30 years. Hunter uh, hires strippers. He also has children with them, as I understand. Yeah. Uh, Casey, nope. Yeah, no, no. No illegitimate children floating around? No. Good. Nope, nope. Never had a stripper either. So, okay, there you go. Hunter Good. Biden looking like a real failure when stacked up against <laughs> Midwestern broadcaster Casey Daniels. <laughs> it is the Kendall and Casey Show. It's 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Good morning, it is 1148. It's the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. Rob with the day off, Ethan Hatcher in, and you're going to do a little performance here in just a bit for us. But first, let's uh, let's get to these stories. Poison Control got over 3,000 calls due to Ozampic overdoses this year. Wild. I've seen the commercials. Oh, 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 Ozampic. Yeah, everybody knows them. So that's a 1,500% increase. And I'm... I, I'm going to ask the obvious question. I don't know. What does an Ozampic overdose look like? Like, what what is that? I mean, I think it's a weight loss product. So yeah. are you essentially starving yourself to death? Do you take so much Ozempic you fail to eat and meet your nutritional requirements? I have to imagine that it, it makes you really sick, like yeah. nausea and vomiting and, and things like that. But I think that's also the side effect of one of the drugs. So how do you know? Is this just the regular side effect or have I taken too much? Corner cutting is not the long-term solution to weight loss. As much as we would love to believe that weight loss comes mm-hmm. inside a pill, you have to find the strength within yourself to make lifestyle and dietary changes on a long-term basis in order to achieve your long-term weight weight loss goals. I know, speaking from personal experience, and although it would be lovely to take some Ozempic and uh, uh, put all those worries away on a pill, it's it's not it's not the be all cure uh, end all cure. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking that's that's trying to take the easy way out yes like just, and clearly there are side effects for trying to do so yeah uh what are you saying that you know from experience 
What do you mean? I know from experience because I'm a big old fatty fat ass. <laughs> I lost more than a concrete uh, concrete bags poundage of food, or uh-huh. like uh, fat. So, like, yes, I, I speak from personal experience. You have to make those long term dietary and lifestyle changes in order to keep the pounds off. Okay, so they're saying, and that I'd still the, love to lose more. I'd love to lose another thirty pounds. Uh, they're saying that the side effects of the over, or not the side effects, but the uh, signs of an overdose from Ozempic do include. Um, nausea and vomiting and headache and weakness and confusion, passing out, shaking, sweating, being lightheaded. I mean, these are all of the same symptoms that could be a variety. You know of what problems. doesn't cause that? What? Dieting. Dieting, exercise. <laughs> I've never been lightheaded, nauseous, weak, or any of those associated side effects from just eating less. It uh-huh. can't be worth it. It can't be. Eating healthy and uh, eating, you know, good food, yeah. natural food, exercising, uh, no quick way to lose the weight. It, uh, <laughs> it takes a second to put on, but forever to get off. Um, okay, have you heard of tinseling? No, what is this? Is this a Christmas decoration? No, tinseling is the cheery new holiday dating trend that could actually be harmful. Oh, no. Okay, okay. What's, what's going on with yeah. tinseling? Tinseling, experts warning couples struggling with their relationships not to get too swept up up in seasonal sparkle over the holidays. It's a common mistake and it is called tinseling. So pretty much what they're saying is that if your relationship is having problems, don't expect the spirit of the holiday to save it. You're, oh, you're looking well, that's at, reasonable. You're looking at the seasonal sparkle to try and kind of avoid or just bury the the problems well, that's for the, the season. That's like the people who think they can solve their relationship woes by having a child. Like that's having what another we, baby. Yeah, that's what will unite the marriage. And like, no, 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 that's not how you address your problems, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so they're saying that this is viewed, it's a deliberate distraction. The sparkling lights have got your attention. It's not actually romance. It's you still have the problem even after the holidays. It's also like, um, you know, if you have a problem and you think you're going to move and then the problem will go away. No, you're just going to take that problem with you yeah. to the new location. Yeah, no, right? that, that that tracks. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, don't tinsel then. I, I ag- actually agree with the uh, article. Yeah, um, January, known as Divorce Month, uh, because a lot of people wake up after the holidays and realize that, no. They're desperately unhappy. The problem did not go away, and it's still here. And uh, once the clock strikes midnight, instead of making amends, they decide, eh, well, we're going to call it quits. Well, maybe those uh, divorces are actually New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Could be for some people. Okay, did you also hear about the uh, robot dog? Yep. This thing was developed in... So not a uh, dog. And not a real dog, a robot dog. It was uh, developed by a tech company, and it has set a new world record, a new Guinness world record for the 100-meter dash in under, under 20 seconds. doesn't count. Unless it's a real dog, it doesn't count. So this is just a simulation at this point. Yeah. This is a, a fake thing. So how is it setting a world record then? If it's well, here's the dirty little secret uh, secret with Guinness Book of World Records. You can actually just pay them to create a new record. It, it has nothing to do with like archiving or cataloging important information. They'll make a record out of anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the, the woman who ate the world's largest amount of mayonnaise in one sitting. Like yeah, anything can be a record. So the, it's a it's a 99 pound robot. And um, it's still. Is this a Boston Dynamics robot? They're they're uh, they've been the. 
Dynamic leaders. Robot Control and Design Laboratory. Okay, no, I've not heard of them. Made its record-setting run on October 26th. And uh, it has uh, ways to go to match a two-legged human. Because you might recall the Jamaican sprinter, Hussein Bolt. Yeah. Do you remember him? Sure. He is still holder of the 100-meter world record. He did it in 9.58 seconds in 2009. This robot dog may be in the Guinness. Maybe maybe it holds the record for robot dogs. Let's let's hold <laughs> off on the robot dogs. Haven't you seen that episode <laughs> of Black Mirror? I, no. I don't like my dystopias. No, I haven't. Oh, uh, uh, it's a, a dystopian future where combat robot dogs have been unleashed on the civilian population and essentially decimated uh, the United States. So, yeah, no. Don't like the robot dogs. No robot dogs. I'm sure it's not very fluffy. I mean, like, what's the point of that? It's it's not really a it's dog. It's a killing machine. It's not really a dog at all. It's just a robot, and they're calling it a dog. Okay, uh, most of Indiana not adopting to electric vehicles. Does this surprise you? No, not at all. Despite all the hype about how wonderful they are, uh, new reports saying that only the wealthiest counties in Indiana are buying in. Well, duh. Midwesterners are traditionalists. They're kind of expensive, too. So you would assume that only the wealthiest counties would buy into them. Uh, would you like to know which county in the state is buying the most electric it's gonna vehicles. Be Lake County or Marion County, I would guess. Mm, nope. Hamilton County. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're fairly affluent. Two hundred ninety-eight EVs were uh purchased in Hamilton County. Boone County, right behind, two hundred and sixty-eight. And so there you go. At an average cost of fifty thousand dollars, EVs. Uh are is it a, a status symbol? Novelty purchase? It's a virtue signal. Okay, virtue <laughs> signal. There you go. Um, used EV prices apparently are dropping pretty fast. All right, you've got something crazy in here today. With yep, this. this is my antique toy, uh, antique music from a century ago. I'll play us out. A concert roller organ demonstrating Midwestern wealth uh, back in like the 1900s. You could buy it in a Sears and Roebuck catalog, and this is what it sounds like. All right. As you play us out, I want to say thank you to you, Ethan, for coming in. Thank you to Carl and you too, Kevin, for producing producing today. We've got Tony Katz who will be joining us next. You've been listening to the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC.